All right, if you'll turn with me back to Exodus chapter number 20. Exodus chapter number 20, we will continue our uh, series through the law. Um, last time we read in Exodus 19 to give some context, we went into the first three verses. We considered that God is the God who lives, the God who liberates, and the God who legislates. And uh, these three things we saw that uh, God is able to legislate and He, he has all, every right to tell His people what to do and to tell all creation what to do. And so today we will look at the second commandment, Thou shall not commit idolatry. Uh, this commandment was like the first four commandments in that it deals specifically with how we act towards God. As it starts out, we shall have no other gods. Well, then, to go further, we shall not commit idolatry. Uh, There is specific instruction given on how we are to worship God. There's a specific way in which we are to worship God. And we understand that He is to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. If either of these are missing, then you're not truly worshipping God. God. Uh, likewise, if anything is added, you aren't worshiping God as, as either. Uh, God is truly concerned with how we worship Him. We don't just gather together and uh, do as we feel led to do. You know, just whatever we think is right in our own eyes. No, that leads to idolatry. That leads to false worship. That leads to things that dishonor God. And so God is very concerned with how we are to worship Him. We have no creative liberty in that aspect. Uh, we look out today and people try to draw the crowds in so they bring in the, the entertainments and the, the activities and this and that and the other and they add to the worship time of the Lord so that they might draw a crowd. But when you draw men by carnal means, you draw carnal men and you soon get outnumbered and it does no good. Look at every minute detail that went into each piece of furniture that was built for the tabernacle. Um, God told Moses how to build each piece of furniture and He told him to the very specific detail. And Moses didn't say, well, God, I don't want to make it that way. I'd rather make it this way. I don't want to make two angels on here. I want to put this turning this way. I want to do that. No, he had no liberty to go from God's command. And then God gave him a talented man to craft each piece. There was not a single place left for Moses to question and say, I'd rather do this or that. As a matter of fact, we know God to be unchanging. It is one of the great blessings to comprehend that God does not change. and That's why we distance ourselves from those who would try to create in their heart two different gods. The God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. And there's, there's a multitude that go under the name of Christianity that would say that the God of the Old Testament was this big, mean, hateful, scary God that uh, just was totally different. And the God of the New Testament, oh, He's loving and kind. God never changes. And so we serve one God. And so if He never changes, if He's concerned right here in Exodus 20 on how we are to worship Him, then He's concerned here in August of 2022, how we are to worship Him. There's no changing with God. With that understanding, we know that God still cares about how He's worshipped. So this 
this here that we're about to look at, verses 4 through 6 specifically, deal with how we are to worship. So let us look today. I'll give you a brief overview if you're taking notes. Let us now consider today's text in brief overview. The commandment is given in three major sections, starting off in verse number 4. There's three major sections. There's the prohibition against the making of idols, the prohibition against the bowing down to those idols, and there's the prohibition against serving those idols. So those would be the three subheadings under the prohibition that is given here. Follow the prohibitions, we see the reason. We're going to be given the reason why. And then we see the consequences of disobedience. So to recap, that's the prohibition stated, the reason given, and the consequences declared. And under the prohibition stated, we have three subheadings, the making of idols, bowing down to idols, and serving idols. Let us begin. Verse number 4, the Bible says, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. As we begin to look at the text, the command against idolatry concerns multiple aspects. It's not just don't commit idolatry, but then he breaks it down and he shows us exactly what he means. Starting out, he says, Thou shalt not make any graven image. Uh, We're taught who the one true God is just one verse prior. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Or two verses rather. I am the Lord thy God which had brought thee out of the, ha- the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. God introduces Himself and tells us who's speaking. And so just a few verses prior, we're told who the true God is. In verse number 3, we're told not to worship any other gods. And because if you look through the Old Testament, you'll see that just saying, Thou shalt have no other gods is not sufficient instruction. Thou shalt have no other gods. We also need to know how to worship this one true God that we're supposed to have. So we see children of Israel having been taken out of Egyptian bondage away from the multitude of false gods need this clearly stated to them just as you and I. So we know who the true God is. We also need to know how He is to be worshipped. See, these people had just left a pagan culture. It was overflowing with idol worship. You can look it up. The Egyptians served multiple false gods. They had the frogs and the crocodiles and snakes and uh, the sun and Pharaoh himself was a god unto them. And the Israelites had been in this for years and years and years and God had just brought them out. So it's important that God gives them clear guidance. And I've often heard it said that the the second commandment here that thou shalt not commit idolatry, well, that's Old Testament stuff. We don't deal with that today. We, in fact, do deal with that today. We deal with it very heavily. So they needed it in their pagan culture. We need it in our pagan culture. America is not a Christian nation. Christian nations don't murder babies. Christian nations don't blaspheme God. Christian nations don't uh, promote homosexuality and the destruction of the home and the family model that God has created. And the list could go on. And so in this culture that we live in, 
we too need this reminder and this clear guidance of how God is to be worshipped. And so we are tempted with this. And we do need to be careful. People have always and will always try and will commit idolatry. Uh, The methods change. Uh, We don't see very many golden calves. But it's the heart that's the concern. Idolatry starts in the heart. It's a, a, a sin of the heart against God. And you might not make a golden calf, but you may worship something other than God. And so the methods change, but the heart of the matter is the same. Our society's filled with it. One man said it this way, that our heart, our heart is an idol factory pumping out idols. And that's certainly true. Our hearts desire vain worship. We're drawn to it. Why? Because when we worship something we've created, we're in essence worshiping ourselves. We all have these temptations. The temptations of ways we think God should be worshipped. And if we aren't careful, we will commit idolatry. It doesn't matter how sincere you are in your worship. You may say, brother, I am so sincere. This, I sincerely mean what I'm saying. Well, you, brother, you're sincerely wrong. And it does not matter how much you really meant it. If we're disobeying God, we are wrong. We worship in spirit because God is a spirit. Physical worship doesn't correspond with God's nature. Don't make graven images. Graven images, they're just depictions. They're visible representations. What is idolatry? It's a visible representation of a divine being. Not only that, idolatry even goes as far as having different ideas about God that are unbiblical. It doesn't really matter what you think about God. What is God? Who is God? And so we... Worship in spirit and in truth. So those two go together. Truth comes from His Word. And then we do it by the power of His Spirit. We worship Him in spirit because He is a spirit. God being Creator of all things shall not be misrepresented by any created thing. Thou shall not make unto thee any graven image. If we take the Creator and try to mold Him to a creature, we have adulterated His image. He's created that thing. And we're trying to worship Him through that thing. And we've failed. This is doing a great injustice to compare the Creator with His creation. The commandment starts off and it tells us not to make any images of God. That means we're permitted, or I mean prohibited from making crucifixes, paintings, pictures, statues, etc., There's no place in our worship, in our homes, in our offices, in our vehicles, or anywhere in our lives for these things. I think back to our particular Baptist forefathers. Of course, we know that in England there was a church, a state church, and you had to be in the state church in order to worship. And if you worshiped outside the state church on the Lord's Day, you would be arrested. Well, our Baptist forefathers said, we're not doing that. We're not, we're not following the state church. And so they suffered being arrested. They suffered being persecuted. And, and there's articles where the police would go in and raid these churches on the Lord's Day. 
And they would take things out and they would write inventory of what was taken out of the building. And it was simple things. A pulpit, some chairs, some books. We don't need all the extra things to worship God. We worship Him in spirit and in truth. And they were so worried about violating this command that they would not put up anything that would draw their attention away from worshiping God in spirit and in truth. They worshiped that they might not be distracted with visible things from the invisible one. They guarded themselves against the common practice of idolatry. Uh, Speaking of guarding against idolatry, there was the old Scottish preacher John Knox He preached a sermon against idolatry and it so stirred in the hearts of the people that listened that they went to the Catholic church and they grabbed the idols of the church and started smashing them and breaking them because they would not have God's glory shared with another. Let our hearts be so focused on the glory of God that we would be careful to defend our homes and ourselves from idols, even purging our very lives of the very thing that God hates. Let us be very careful that we don't have idols going further, he says, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above. So he says not to make the graven images. Now he explains what these are. Not leaving the commandment without detail, God gives us clear instruction. First off, we aren't to create anything after the likeness of anything that's in heaven above. This includes heaven or outer space or in the sky. No idols to be made of angels. No idols to be made of Christians who had gone on before to be with the Lord or any imagined images of heaven. Uh, You may say people never do that, but there are those today that still do that. The Catholic Church will set up idols and, and worship saints and worship images. And that's the very thing that God hates. God protect us from that. But there are not only those, there are those outside of the Catholic Church that have followed suit. And we are forbidden from doing this. Uh, You may say it's good to use heavenly depictions, but even they won't do. Even things in heaven itself won't do. It's a, a gross misrepresentation even when the idols that you create are from heaven itself to aid in our worship of God. Why? Even everything in heaven is created by God. Even everything in heaven is created by God except God Himself. And so you cannot find anything that God has created that would do justice to God's magnificent glory. They all fall short. There's not a created thing that will do. Uh, To worship God who is a spirit with physical representations is to adulterate His worship. It's vile to pray to Mary or to saints. It's dishonoring to God when we mix idolatry with our worship. Uh, Consider how even the angels in heaven, when they, they cry out, Holy, holy, holy before God, they cover their face that they die not in His presence. And they cover their feet. They won't even look upon Him because they know they would die from His glory. Someone that glorious, how could we possibly create an image that would do Him justice? And we can't. So down from there we consider the universe. It's not okay to make idols such as the sun, the moon, the stars. 
anything contained in the universe. Again, these things are created in their gross misrepresentations. Finally, we see creatures of the air. Now, all these things are fresh on the minds of the Israelites because they had just come out of a society that was overflowing with this kind of worship. They saw all these types of images. They saw so-called heavenly idols. They saw these birds and uh, things, stars and the moon and the sun and all these things as depictions of divinity. And this is stuff they had been around. May we be careful by the help of God not to diminish or adulterate the glory of God. Because how easy it is for our our minds to be drawn away. And if it wasn't for the Holy Ghost of God, we would be. So I thank God for His grace in keeping us and may He help us. So we're not to make anything of any likeness that is in heaven above. He goes on, or that is in the earth beneath such as goats, bulls, frogs, uh, crocodile, uh, anything that creeps on the earth, a person, any beast or creeping thing. These images were used in Egypt throughout Canaan in the wicked idolatrous worship. Israel employed, they even employed a golden calf when uh, Moses was up in the mount. Why did they do that? That's what they'd been around. That's what they saw. We better not be too hard on them though because we have made golden calves in our own lives when we're drawn away from worshiping God as He ought to be worshipped. That is in the water under the earth. Finally, we're not to use images from the water such as the fish god Dagon from the Philistines, uh, the crocodiles of the Egyptians. The list really goes on. Uh, We shouldn't do that. The, the, The natives even of our own country would do that. Uh, they worshipped everything they saw, the, the sun, the moon, the animals, anything they could see, and they tried to attach deity to it. This was not only just common in Egypt, it's common in the heart of fallen man to go after idols. Our hearts were dead and darkened by sin. We sin because we're sinners. We create false gods and worship them and serve the creature who is ble- or more than the blessed Creator. And there's no excuse for it. God has not left Himself without a witness. And it really just goes to show the depravity of the human heart. Uh, There's instances, even in uh, old Canaanite culture, that they had a story of the flood. They knew about it. They knew the truth. But what they did was they took the story and they applied it to their own gods. And they changed it a little bit here and there. That's idolatry. And any time, even anybody that goes under the name of Christian and and takes the Scriptures and twists and changes and makes it how they want to, that's idolatry of the heart. So it's not just making the images, but it's worshiping. The depraved heart is never filled though, and it goes on and on and on and on and on and on. They'll never be happy. They'll make another one. They'll make another one. They'll make another one. Uh, men are drawn to these things. And, and listen, thou shalt not make into thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, in the earth beneath, or that in the water under the earth. The prohibition then in part number one, first is prohibiting the creation of these images, whether whether it be physically or in your heart. So first of all, 
the creation of these images. Secondly, he prohibits in verse number 5, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them. This one may especially be uh, more, uh, more easily applied. We may be able to understand this a little easier. Uh, we see the prohibition against making them, but now we see we're prohibited against worshiping these. Why is it such a great sin? It's just a thing. It's just an idol. It's just a piece of something, right? No. God requires that we worship Him and Him alone. And if even one ounce of our worship is drawn away, then we're committing idolatry, and then God is being robbed of the glory that is due unto His name. Listen here in Psalm 115, verses 1-11. through 11, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto Thy name give glory. For Thy mercy, for Thy truth's sake, wherefore should the heathen say, Where is now their God? But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever He hath pleased. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. They that make them are like unto them. So is everyone that is trusteth in them. O Israel, trust thou in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Ye that fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Those who make idols will inevitably love their creation. You have to love what you've made. You know, we make it and we fall down before it. And we, we think we've really done good. We think we really have a good idea. Um, they're going to adore the craft of their hand. Look at Cain and Abel. Abel gave a good sacrifice. Cain gave of his hands. The work of his hands. Uh, people love that. That's that the pride of our heart. That They take what they've made and you become like what you've made because it comes from your sinful heart. You make it after your own perverse ideology and desires. People make idols from their vain traditions of their hearts. When someone makes an idol, they will bow the knee to it. Uh, the second part of the commandment against idolatry prohibits any worship of idols of any sort. We're not to show reverence. We're uh, not bowing the knee, kissing the hand, lying down before them in any motion or action that gives reverence or praise. This is explicitly prohibited. God shall be worshipped only. And it's not enough to say that God should be worshipped only, but God for who He is. The real God. There are those that call their God Jesus, but He's not the Jesus of the Bible. That's idolatry. There are those who call their God, God, but He's not the God of the Bible, and that's idolatry. And that's exactly what this text is talking about. And people will bow down themselves before them. They'll prostrate themselves on the ground before them, and they'll give worship and praise and admonition. And God hates it because He's only going to be worshipped. He will not share His glory. You're, when you do this, you mock the living God, the sovereign God, the Creator uh, to bow to your idol is to bow to yourself. And to bow to yourself is to worship yourself before God. Oh, what great unrighteousness. God help us. Oh, how our hearts are, are drawn to such proud and arrogant things. We need the Lord to protect us from that. 
So we see the making of the idols, whether physically or in your heart. We see the bowing down to them. And thirdly, in this first point, we see the serving of these idols. Verse number 5, Thou shalt not bow thyself down to them, nor serve them. We're do no service to them. It's only building upon the last. Not only should we not bow down to them, but we cannot serve them. Uh, we shall not sacrifice to them, pray to them, love them, trust in them, long after them, desire them with our heart or anything of the sort. We're to serve God and God alone. Uh, what duties we owe to God we shall not give to idols. If you make any such idol and you bow down to it and serve it, you'll serve it with your heart and you'll love them and you'll honor them and in so doing, you'll dishonor God. You cannot love God and Mammon, you cannot love the real God and a false... You cannot love both. You cannot be a fence straddler. And so you'll love them. You'll honor them. You'll dishonor God. Uh, Understand this, that in all the Ten Commandments, when the, the negative is given, the positive is implied. Or if the positive is given, the negative is implied. So understand this, that when He says, Thou shalt... Have no other gods before me. He's really saying as well, Thou shalt have me alone as God. And so when he says, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, he's saying, You shall have me and worship me in spirit. And when he says, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, he says, You shall bow down to me. And when he says, You shall not serve them, he's saying, You shall serve me. And so where the negative is stated, the positive is implied. And in all this, we understand the positive to be true. Uh, Thou shalt not make any graven images, but worship Him spiritually. But why? I mean, this is very strongly stated and it seems obvious, but why? Why does He say this? Why? First off, let me be very careful in saying this. God doesn't owe us an answer. Uh, God is our Creator. And if God says it, He doesn't owe me an answer or a reason I don't have to have one. He said it and that's enough and that's fine. Uh, Some people say God said it and I believe it, that settles it. No, God said it, that settles it whether I believe it or not. But I I do like that uh, here in this verse, He does give us a reason. He does give us a reason. And we shall consider that in our second point. As we've seen the prohibitions stated, we get to see the reason given. And the reason given is, for I the Lord thy God am a jealous God. I am a jealous God. The Lord thy God is a jealous God. Think about it this way with me, if you will. When a man and a woman get married, a, a man goes out and he seeks out a bride and he finds that one that's just like the, he's just so happy to have her and he marries her and he's now jealous over that bride. He doesn't want anybody else to have her. He doesn't want anybody else to touch her. He doesn't want her to give affection to another. He doesn't want her to give service to another. He doesn't want her to give eyes to another. He doesn't want her to love another. And what the pain of finding uh, uh, the, the marriage bed defiled and how a, jealousy, a jealous rage will really rise up in the heart. Because there should be some jealousy. You love that woman. And many have been killed for that put to death for that very sake. It was the punishment for an adulterous relationship. The adulterer taking an adultery was to be stoned. Uh, think of that. 
pain and sorrow of this circumstance, the betrayal, the distrust, uh, multiply infinitely. God is holy and just and righteous. And He's absolutely holy. And He's condescended to those of low estate uh, by His grace to show them love and mercy. The infinitely worthy and holy God has chosen the utterly unworthy and unholy to justify, sanctify, and glorify. God has chosen a bride for His Son and given His Son to purchase her from her sin and has every right to be jealous over her. He has every right to righteously and justly command our devotion to Him and to expect for us to serve Him. Uh, He created us. He sought us. He bought us. And He's keeping us. And You and I owe every bit of devotion to Him. He's a jealous God. Uh, how dare we? To, how dare we, any of us, to, to have the thought of departing from our bridegroom and whoring after other gods? To play the part of the harlot and open ourselves to every strange god. Uh, not only is he jealous over his people, but he's also jealous over his own glory, though. In Isaiah 42, verse 8, you see that uh, he's given the, the prophecy of the Messiah who would come into the world and save His people. And He says in verse number 8, I am the Lord. All capitals, that's Jehovah. I am Jehovah. I am Yahweh. That is My name. And My glory will I not give to another, neither My praise to graven images. So He's glory over His... I mean, He's jealous over His praise. He's jealous over His own glory. He alone will receive glory for all He has done uh, from... Creation, He'll receive glory. For redemption, He'll receive glory. From sanctification, He'll receive the glory. From all aspects, everything that God has done, everything that God is, He will be glorified in that. He will not share His praise with another, neither graven images. So at the conclusion of Isaiah 42, when He's telling of His Son that would come into the world and save sinners, He says, I did this. I'll get the glory. So we think of that here when he says, I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. He has every right to be. In pursuing idols, the glory of God is robbed. In not caring what the Bible says and just doing whatever we feel necessary, His glory is adulterated. It won't be tolerated. God uh, will not take that. We ought to give all glory to God. We ought to praise Him regularly. We ought to flee idols. We ought to resist the temptation to give His glory to others. We ought to love and adore Him. Uh, God is a jealous God and rightfully so. And so remember that He shall be first and only. If you want to provoke God to anger, well, this is a good way to do it. Look through the Old Testament. Um, We're reading through the Old Testament, our reading plan, the New Testament. And we're in Judges right now. And Judges is just full of this. God would raise up a judge and help the people out of a bad situation, a circumstance where they'd sinned against God and left God and went after the false gods of the land they were in. And God gave them into captivity in different different situations. And then they would cry out to God. God would raise up a judge. The judge would come in, save the people out of the situation. That judge would die. They would go back into idolatry and the circumstance over and over again. Pray that God would protect your heart from that. And that our affections toward idols and false God would be non-existent. Lest we leave our first love for vanity. 
knowing that if we do, the consequences are severe. Uh, wrapping up, we see in the last two or the last half of this verse and the end of the the whole next verse, there is a consequence for this. The consequence is declared. Listen to this: visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Um, we've considered the prohibition stated, the reason given, and lastly, we look at the consequences. Everything you do has a consequence, good or bad, and it affects you and those around you. There is a consequence for every single thing that you do. And right here he says that he visits the iniquity of the father upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Now, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, we understand that God is a just God, right? God is just and He judges justly. A person will only ever be judged for their own sins. But what we notice here in this text is that idolatry, if it starts in the family, it has a tendency to go on to the next generation and to go to the next generation. This, this sin of idolatry has a, a nasty way of affecting families and destroying generations. A father given to idolatry will raise children in idolatry and their children shall be raised the same as long as this continues. A father who cares not for God's glory will lead his family in uh, uh, the way that God hates. Sadly, the farther that, uh, the this goes, the deeper into the wickedness the following generations plunge. Maybe one generation goes away a little, the next one a little more, and the next one so on. Now, very carefully, I understand that people are saved by grace through faith, and I'm not denying that, but there's a lot to be uh, seen in looking at statistics. I believe it's this verse being played out. Uh, those who have a godly father in the home that follow the Scriptures and lead the family in the Scriptures versus those who have an ungodly father or an absent father, oftentimes we see God is pleased to bless the obedience of the father in the lives of his posterity, and it's of utmost importance that we lead our families in righteousness. That your sin, that we understand that our sin not only affects us as men, but our wives and our children and our children's children to the third and fourth generation. Uh, you're passing on an awful example if you're given to idolatry. You're passing on something that's not profitable to your children, and they're going to go further and further and further and further into this mess. So that's typically, uh, why do we see the third and fourth generation? Typically that's how long a man lives. If a man has kids, that's his second generation, his grandkids, that's the third. The great kids, grandkids is the fourth. What's that mean? That means that your sin today has a lasting impact. That means that if you live in wickedness right now, that you're affecting not only you, but the four generations beyond you. God is concerned with how we worship Him. God is concerned with how we obey Him and what we say and how we act and what we do. Be ye holy as I am holy, saith the Lord. But we understand that that's not a works-based salvation. That's not what we're preaching. This is after they're brought out of Egypt. But God's people are still held accountable to this law. This law is not done away with at the moment of salvation you are held to the moral law of God and you are to obey Him. 
should this not deter the Christian from following idols? What a terrible shame and an impact it has on the lives of your posterity to watch them suffer and sin against God. Your disobedience going to the next, to the next, to the next. If you go after other gods and serve them, you, or if you serve God in an unbiblical way because you feel God should be like this, I, I get so sick and tired of hearing people say, well, the God I serve is like this. Well, the God I serve does this. No! What does the Bible say? Those that say, well, I feel God would do this... That's idolatry. Those that say, well, my God wouldn't do this, that's idolatry. The Bible is what tells us about God. And those people that are drawn away in these different things of forms of idolatry, beware, your children will suffer. Your grandchildren will suffer and your great-grandchildren will suffer. Because their blood will be on your hands because you've left the Bible and forsaken truth. You've attempted to worship God how you please instead of who He really is actually commands to be worshipped. You won't be the only one who suffers with this awful sin. You've willfully left off from His command and you will suffer the consequences. This is you. May your heart be broken at this moment. Would you repent and follow and worship God biblically and wholeheartedly in spirit and in truth? This is the negative consequence. But let us look at the positive consequence. Let's look at the positive side of this. And showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. God shows mercy to those who love Him. Who loves Him? Those who He first loved. We love Him because He first loved us. If we love Him, we'll worship Him. We'll praise Him cheerfully. Uh, We'll serve Him biblically. Uh, we'll do it in all holy fear. We'll love Him in an outward manner and in the inward acts of the heart. We'll love Him by keeping all His commandments. Now do we live perfectly? No. Uh, but our lack of perfection is not an excuse for disobedience. You'll never be sinless, but as you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, you will sin less. You will be made more and more like Christ. Don't get discouraged because you're struggling so hard with sin today. If you're struggling with sin, that's a good sign because the lost don't struggle with it. They're really good at it. If you're struggling with sin today, keep going. Keep trusting Christ. Keep going forward. Keep honoring this God. Keep following this God. Keep loving this God. And how do we love Him? By keeping His commandments. How do we love Him? By worshiping Him. By praising Him. By serving Him. By praying to Him. By forsaking all others and following Him. Follow Him. The grace of God that saves a person will change them. You will be conformed to the Son. Uh, There's a command to be personally holy. We're commanded to follow Him in obedience and it's all made possible by His grace. As we've stated almost every time we've read the law, God starts by reminding us who He is. And that He's the one that brought us out of Egypt. And now He tells us to keep His commandments. What an encouragement that it's not the Ten Commandments and then He brings them out of Egypt. He brought you out of Egypt. He brought you out of bondage. The Israelites had no power of their own to get themselves out of Egypt. They had no power of their own to get out. They had no power to go in 
get away from this slavery. God brought him out by His grace. And so it is when He saves a sinner, He brings you out by His grace. And now He tells you to serve Him. Now what an encouragement that is. Follow Him because He has loved you. What He's done for you, love Him because He has first loved you. There are those that have said that the love of God, that if you preach it too heavily, that uh, or if you preach it at all, that you're being real liberal and all this thing. But there is a uh, you can go too far and forget the rest of who God is. But there's a real sense that we need to be very aware of the love of God, or we're not going to want to serve Him. I'm thankful that God loves me in spite of myself, that He loves me in Christ. And they loved me enough that He brought me out and that he, He's given me a relationship, that communion, that fellowship with Him. How do we apply all this? How does all this apply? I want to look at one Bible. Uh, I want to look at one text of Scripture and then we'll try to make application. We'll go home. Romans 1 verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that, when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. Their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, changed the glory of the uncorruptible God to an image made like to corruptible man, to birds, four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie. Worship served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. We've studied through here and now as we consider this second portion of the Ten Commandments, let our hearts be very careful to worship God in spirit and in truth. Not giving lip service, not coming and doing, you know, okay, well, I came to church, check this off my box. No, when we're here, we're here to worship the holy God of heaven. We're here to sing His praises. We're here to magnify His name. We're here to to sing holy, holy, holy to the Lord God Almighty. We're here to sing His glory forever. And we can't do that without the Spirit. We can't do it without truth. So all that we do in worship to God must first be from the Spirit and then from truth. And the truth is found in the Word. If you miss those things, you will be cast into idolatry. You will drive yourself into idolatry if you leave out either of those. Calvin said it this way, For although Moses only speaks of idolatry, yet there is no doubt but that by uh, synodote, as in all the rest of the law, he condemns all fictitious services which men in their ingenuity have invented. For hence have arisen the, con- the carnal mixtures whereby God's worship has been profaned, that they estimate Him according to their own reason, and thus in a matter metamorphose Him. It is necessary then to remember what God is, lest we should form any gross or earthly ideas respecting Him. 
Let us be careful to worship Him in spirit and in truth. He is the only living God. And He is concerned with how we come before Him. So let us not come before Him half-heartedly. Let us not come before Him uh, with our preconceived ideas. But let us look into what the Scripture says. As we talked about last Wednesday night, we went over the psalm, uh, I believe it 136. And every time it says, for His mercy endureth forever. And we were talking about praising the Lord for different things. And there's so many uh, things that God had done in that text. They praise Him for His creation, His works of creation, His works of redemption, because He's given His people an inheritance. And all those things, you wouldn't have known to praise God for if you didn't read the Bible. So let's read the Scriptures Let's systematically approach the Scriptures. Let's, let's read from Genesis to Revelation. Let's, let's dig in deep. Let's, let's understand what the text says. Let's get in and, and get a regular daily dose of Scripture. And when we mess up and forget, let's get caught back up and let's keep going. And let's read. Why? So that we have a knowledge of who God is. He reveals Himself through His Word. So how are we going to worship Him if we don't know it? So how do we apply this? Thou shalt not commit idolatry. Well, we don't have a golden calf in here. And that's fairly easy to say. We're probably, if someone brought a golden calf through the front door here, I think there would be an uproar and people like, get that out of here. But what if somebody brought in a little bit of error? Maybe someone had an idea to do this. Or an idea in their head of this. So, maybe a little error here, a little error there. That's idolatry. When we have different thoughts about God that contradict His Word. So let's be careful to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Let's not create a a, a false God and give Him the name Jesus so that we can say we've worshipped God today. But let us with all integrity and all sincerity worship Him in spirit and in truth. We saw the prohibition. We saw the reason. We saw the consequences. Let us glorify God together.